Recording in progress. Ladies and gentlemen, joining us, they, or rather, thank you for joining us <laughs> for a very special episode. Joe, we only do live takes here, you know this. A very special episode today of the Roses and Rhetoric podcast. Joining me, as always, my charming co host, Joseph Stanford. Episode number 52. Joe, let's do a little bit of Adam Carolla radio math. Mm. We record one episode a week. Today is episode number 52. Does that mean that today marks our one-year anniversary? You know, I I don't remember if it was leap year this year or not, but I think it's pretty close, yeah. We're going to call it. We're going to call it today our official one-year anniversary. Joe, I posed to you the question last time. What percentage of high school relationships do you think last approximately one year i don't remember the number you gave um i would predict that no more than i'm going to be generous i'm going to say no more than 10 percent of high school relationships make it a full year a full calendar year um do you think that that's that's, that's a fair number i think it's about that about that number yeah i think you're i think you're right right on the money there all right right on the money 90 percent of them so we have outlasted 90% of the 2020 high school relationship. I think that's something that we should be proud of, Joe. <laughs> yeah, I think it's something to celebrate. It looks I like we've already started celebrating. We've already started celebrating. For anybody who's been watching the shows, um, you'll know that I am wearing a different shirt than I normally am wearing. And I have a different accessory than what I normally where Joe looks the same, of course, but I look a little bit different. I am wearing a button down and a tie in commemorative uh, celebration of our one year anniversary. Normally I wear a very, uh, you know, a very uh, kind of plain charcoal gray V-neck shirt. I quite enjoy that very much. I wore that for all 51 previous episodes. And last week I forgot it in our nation's exactly. capital visiting my wife. So I had to think on the fly for today's episode, and I chose to dress up a little bit uh, for the commemorative one-year anniversary, the, the one-year anniversary of the Roses and Rhetoric podcast. On the show joining us in a little bit will be Joseph Mass for this week's movie review. But until he gets here, Joe, I probably might spend the first half or so of the show reviewing key ideas from last year. But before jumping in to the memories... Let's get a brief travel update. Where are you? Where are you going? And what in the world are you doing? Sure. Well, before I begin, I would like to uh, to apologize for my lack of accessorizing, like like you've done so today on this commemorative episode. Um, I took a five hour bus from Lagos, Portugal, to Seville, Seville, Spain, and I literally just got off the bus, like I don't know, probably within the past hour and a half. And then I booked it to my hotel, made a quick stop at Burger King, got a Whopper. Uh, it was awful. <laughs> I don't know why I did that, but um, I needed food. And I needed some quick so that we could get to the business here and doing our episode. So again, excuse my attire. Uh, at least it's like kind of matching my hotel room, which is kind of cool. But other than that. Yeah. So I just came from Lagos, Portugal, and I spent about five days there. Now, Lagos is a town in Portugal on the very, very southern end. It's like a coastal town, and it's like, it's, I didn't know it at the time, but by the time I got there, I found out it was like a, like a party destination city type thing, like a touristy, like, it wasn't like a lot of locals there, in other words. Like, it was like a lot of British people, a lot of like German people, um, and so on and so forth. A lot of white people, in other words. Mm. And this was my first time attempting to stay in a hostel. Well, I've stayed in hostels before, but I've always stayed in private rooms in hostels. I've never stayed in the actual kennel area, as I like to call it. So for those of you who don't know, a hostel, um, the cheapest option when staying at a hostel is a big room, like a college dorm room, basically. And there's about eight people usually in this room and it's like you all just sleep in bunks eight strangers you don't know who you're going to get paired with and they just kind of give you a key to get in and they give you like a bed sheet and they tell you good luck 
So I was like, okay, I'll try this out. Maybe I could save some money. And like hostels are like great places, like meet people and like kind of learn about the city and like where to go, like connections to different like tours and bars and stuff like that. So I'm like, okay, let's do it. Um, I go in and it just smells like shit. I just walk in and it just smells like a dorm room. We've spent time in dorm rooms before, right? You remember what they smell like? For, for people who uh, have not been to college yet or maybe who are deciding not to go for other reasons, I will, I will support Joe's description of the dorm. In, in particular, boys' dorms. It's, it's common knowledge that men don't mature quite as quickly as women do. This is apparent really when men begin living on their own in college. Uh, it's awful. It really is bad. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's sink or swim in those dorms. You know, it's, uh, it's sink or swim. Some people make it, some people, some people succumb to, um, sepsis, but, uh, anyways, yeah. let's continue. Yeah. So I walk into this room, this small room, and I just get instant flashbacks from college. Just the, the musty smell of just like, dude, just like all around me. Unwashed just- towels that have been hanging up for months at a time. Oh yeah. Never get washed. Bed sheets. Hint of mildew. Yeah. Yeah. And who knows what else. So I smell this. I'm like, oh boy, this is (laughs) good thing. I only booked three nights here. It's going to be a long night. (laughs) I'm surprised your health insurance allowed you to stay that many nights in the hospital. Well, let's hope I have health insurance at this point. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I, okay. I walk in, I'm like, okay, I got to get like, I'm not going to be able to sleep tonight. I need to get like a drink or something. So I go out. I get some drinks, I like meet some people, like have some fun, whatever. Come back to the dorm, come back to the hostel. Um, it's probably pretty late at this point, maybe like 2, 3 a.m. And I walk in and it just smells like 10 times worse. It's pitch black. Like there's, I don't know who's in here. I don't know who these strangers are. They're all like asleep. It's literally like a dog kennel or like a prison cell. That was how I would describe it. And so I go in, I, I had my bunk already. I get my bunk and I just like, just try to like, kind of like unwind, just try to relax and like try to fall asleep. But next thing I know, I just hear all this like shuffling above me. And this dude just, it's like he's sleeping and he has to roll over every 10 seconds from one side to another. And it's loud because like the sheets they give you are like basically sandpaper, right? Right. It's like crinkly, like plastic bags every time. And and he just keeps doing this (laughs) over and over. And and then finally, like some, the bunk mate to my south just like stands up and he walks up to this dude above me. He gets out of his bunk, comes up in the complete dark, like he's in his underwear. And he stands like right at me, like nutsack in my face, like talking to this guy. And he's like, you speak German or English? <laughs> and the guy's like, uh, yes. And then he's like, you need to shut the fuck up. No one can sleep. Stop moving around so much. <laughs> and I'm just like trying to pretend to be asleep. And uh, he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, my bad. Sorry, sorry. And then so German man gets back in the bed. And this dude just like five seconds later, just like keeps shuffling. He just like keeps doing it. And then, and then it gets worse. Like just shit starts falling down. Like his fucking toothpaste falls down into my bunk, like hits me. His phone just falls like five feet from my face. Like his wallet falls. And it's just, it's just unreal. So luckily I had earplugs in. So I like put the earplugs in or put the mask on my face or whatever. And I just like tried to get some sleep. I think the, they kept getting at it more and more throughout the night. But by the time I woke up in the morning, this guy was just completely gone. Like he was just, there was no one there. It wasn't even a sheet. So I don't know where he went. I think he was on some sort of drug. And to make it all worse, the other thing I woke up to was this, I don't know, six foot three, just like white dude coming in, like out fresh out of a shower which is the worst rash I've ever seen, like, on someone. Like, his whole, like, torso was just, like, rashed up. Like, I don't know if it was bed bugs. I don't know if it was psoriasis. I don't know if it was shingles. It could have been anything. And um, I think it was about at that point that I was like, nope, I'm not doing this anymore. So I packed up my stuff. I went to the nearest hotel, and then I checked in there. But... um, which is honestly the way to do it because the hospital has like all the amenities and stuff and all the friends, but you get like the comfort of having a hotel. So I had the best of both worlds. Um, long story short, hospitals aren't for me. Maybe uh, you would fare better than I did. 
Yikes. Um, we, we both know people. In fact, I think we both have the same person who uh, has had bed bugs. And uh, it's not a laughing matter. They are uh, fucking horrible. <laughs> they are fucking horrible things. Um, you essentially have to nuke your whole house to get rid of them. You have to basically fumigate your home with, you know, whatever isopropyl alcohol or whatever it is. You try to like put stuff in a bag and try and suffocate them with whatever you can do. Um, So I, I, I hope that that person did not have bed bugs because then I don't want you to have bed bugs. I'm hoping he had psoriasis. (laughs) (laughs) If I, yeah, I'm hoping that he had eczema. If I had to, uh, I'm, I'm hoping he didn't have anything that was uh, commutable, so to speak, in uh, in the public space. Um, yeah, that that sounds horrible. You know, for I, I, probably for for good reason, but I think evolutionarily we're all very like keyed up on skin illnesses. Like, can you see a rash? It's like always frightening. Um, so I'm I'm glad that you at least kept your cool during that you know, kind of scene, but uh, I, I don't know that I would have been as uh, well-mannered. I would, I might've freaked out a little bit more, one of my own personal shortcomings, but. Yeah, and I know what everyone's gonna say. They say like, okay, yeah, you gotta research your hostels. You gotta go to hostelworld.com and look at it, make sure it's got the good reviews. And let me tell you, this is the highest reviewed hostel in. The- this was <laughs> the highest rated dog kennel in all of. <laughs> the highest rated kennel. Oh, and get this, there was, there was a girl in the room too. Oh. Like, Oh. I, like I, I've grown up like with the dudes, you know, like I've lived in the same rooms as dudes, like, and so I'm like a little accustomed to it, and I was still miserable. I don't know how this poor, poor Finnish girl like oh. was able to like manage this. I don't know. But yeah, good on her, so- I guess. Ugh. Yeah, maybe she was like a sociologist doing research or something. <laughs> a dermatologist. <laughs> <laughs> doing she's a public health worker infectious disease about to, yeah, about to condemn that hostel well you wonder where they get the name hostel and of course now we know why um right pretty, pretty horrible um you were talking last time so how, how much money do you really save going to one of these public like how much did you end up paying for the room that you ended up getting versus oh, what you were paying at the hostel uh, during yeah. like the community place versus like a private whatever you're calling it yeah to stay in the kennel it's about 20 25 a night which is like real cheap um but American the hotel, yeah real dollars but the hotel i stayed in was probably closer to like 60 70 yeah two three times the cost but uh well worth it in my yeah opinion. yeah well worth it very good well joe we're we're, we're gonna be joined here i is that it for travel updates before we move on? I wanted, I think Absolutely. we might do our movie review. We, don't, I just don't let that discourage anyone from Portugal or Lagos. Beautiful city, epic beaches, epic cliffs, awesome all the way around. Just uh, pony up for the hotel. That'd pony up for opinion. the hotel. I agree. All right, we're going to do We're going to pause briefly while we get Joe Matz in the room. We're going to go to our movie review for this week, which is a good one. I read it. Sounds, sounds like a good movie. And uh, then we'll get back on our commemorative one-year anniversary, everybody. will be, well, of course, to you, it'll seem instantaneous. Recording back in progress, as promised, joining us, the illustrious <laughs> R&R movie review. Joe Matt, I'm talking to now. Joe, I don't know that, that, we, that we told you this, but this actually marks our official one-year anniversary episode. Episode number oh. 52 of the Thank you very much. So we're happy to have you with us for this uh, this week's movie review. Um, I'm looking forward to it. I read it earlier in the day. Um, so let's let, let's hop over to it and uh, we'll have a little bit of discussion uh, about it. Joe, when you're ready, this week's movie review. All right. So this week's movie is or was Writers of Justice. Uh, you can find it on Hulu. Uh, what it's about. Marcus is a Danish soldier stationed in Afghanistan who returns home to care for his teen daughter after his wife is killed in a tragic train accident. When another passenger on the train who specializes in probability suggests the accident was actually foul play, Marcus sets out for revenge. Is it good? The movie is a vigilante revenge thriller, buddy comedy, rumination on chance, and earnest drama about the need for human connection in the face of an uncaring universe. 
Throw in subplots about therapy and sexual abuse, and this movie has so many moving parts, many that should be tonally at war with each other, that it ought to be a just disjointed mess that crumbles beneath its own ambitions. Miraculously, it doesn't. Instead, it's one of the most enjoyable films of the last year. Writer-director Anders Thomas Jensen made three consecutive Oscar-nominated shorts in the late 90s. And after the third took home a statue, he made his feature film debut, Flickering Lights, a black comedy starring two rising stars of Danish cinema. Nikolai Lee Koss, and apologies if anyone Danish happens to ever listen to this, because I'm sure I'm going to mangle a bunch of names here. His most notable English language role was the assassin in Tom Hanks' Angels and Demons and Mads Mikkelsen. The two have star since starred in all five films Jensen's directed, including this one, and it's not hard to see why he keeps coming back to them. Hopefully anyone listening to this review is already aware of how gifted an actor Mikkelsen is. The fact his performance is the first I think of when someone mentions Hannibal Lecter is about as high a praise as I can hand out. Here he's given what's become a stock character, the vengeful husband slash father, and gives Marcus layers beyond what's written on the page. Marcus isn't an expressive man, but Mickelson makes sure we never question what's going on in his head. Koss compliments him with a well-drawn portrait of a sensitive man haunted by giving up his seat to Marcus's wife on the train, as well as his own past, and is working to make things right. Nicholas Bro and Lars Bregman round out the makeshift revenge team as an eccentric and often at odds pair specializing in facial recognition and hacking. Their comic relief prevents the film from ever becoming too dour. Andrea Hike Gadedberg also does solid work with a tough role as Marcus's daughter, and Gustav Lind brings a good-natured presence to the second half of the film as a sex slave freed from the biker gang Marcus and co. are taking out. Like I said, there's a lot going on in this movie. The film isn't without its flaws. There are some fat jokes that would have felt tired a decade ago, and the tricky balance Jensen attempts to strike between tragedy and humor doesn't always work when he adds in the sexual abuse element. The fact that it works at all is an accomplishment. Though if the subject is triggering anyone, this may be a film to avoid. But he and his cast generally find the right tone that keeps all the various elements of the film flowing together. The action scenes won't blow anyone away who's seen John Wick, but they're effective. Mickelson knows how to handle himself in a fight scene, and Jensen keeps the gunplay quick and brutal. Jensen also does a great job adding character quirks that make these feel like real people. His plotting is top-notch, and I always love a director who knows how to use their camera to heighten the comedy. One scene in particular, he uses a slow zoom on a character to suggest what they're saying will be profound, only for the story they're telling to be pointless. Little things like that add up and elevate a film, most importantly with how overrun the revenge genre is now. Jensen sets his film apart, not only with its humor, but the way he interrogates our need to make sense out of tragedy. This movie isn't mere revenge porn, but something richer and more meaningful. As long as you're not allergic to subtitles and can handle the dark subject matter, Writers of Justice is an impressive example of just how good and fun a movie can be when its, directors, when its director and cast are on exactly the same page, no matter how wild the story being told. Uh, my final grade for this one was a B plus. And other suggestions for movies to watch. For more Mads Mikkelsen in a movie working with both humor and the darker side of life, Another Round, which I believe is also streaming on Hulu. And if it's not Hulu, it's Amazon. Uh, for more revenge, but way more killing, can't go wrong with John Wick. And for another sub great subtitled movie about a man with a special set of skills seeking revenge for his wife's murder, I Saw the Devil, which is a Korean horror thriller. Very impressive with the names, Joe. I think you got them all right. Of course, <laughs> I'm no Danish expert myself. Um, okay, let's, let's talk a little bit about um, the revenge plot point seems to be kind of popular i think there was a uh a death wish remake not too long ago with bruce willis in it yeah. of course you mentioned john wick all of those movies um the, the taken movies which are kind of revenge i mean i guess the first one it's a kidnapping it's not technically revenge but it's in the same genre i feel like y yes yes the, the uh, vigilante justice and uh of course a great in, in my opinion an understated film in that collection of movies and one of the few that has a female in that role is the one with Jodie Foster, and I'm trying to remember the name of it real quick. And I right, I I, I thought about that one too, and I don't even yeah. remember the name of it. Like Terrence Howard, no, I got it, I got it. The brave one, the brave, brave one. one. Okay, there you go. Yep. Um, a, a 
in my opinion, underrated in that genre. And like I said, one of the few that has a, a woman in that role. Um, mm. Revenge as subject matter, but this movie takes it a little bit beyond. Uh, let's let's elaborate on that a little bit. Um, this concept of vigilante justice, et cetera, is it kind of, you know, is, is, is it too crowded right now in that market? I mean, how does this movie distinguish itself from the other ones? Um, I mean, I think one portion of it is that he kind of, Mads Mikkelsen's character, he's not the one who kind of sets everything in motion because it's this other guy who has also just been fired from his job. So he's maybe also looking at his and he like runs some probability. He sees that a, a witness for a trial against this biker gang died on that train accident. Mm. And he's like, what are the odds of that? He like saw someone he thought was suspicious on the train get off right beforehand. So part of it is that like, you've got this kind of ragtag group of like hackers and mathematicians who are not well set up to actually like go out and kill anyone. They're kind of like partially driving this. And then, I mean, the humor element is pretty i think that's not something you see a lot in these revenge movies they tend to be very serious right and so there's this whole element where mads is trying to like hide the fact that he's working with these guys from his daughter so they end up posing as therapists and it becomes this kind of like i'm trying to think of what the right wordage is but it just kind of this like crazy like comedic thing is happening at the same time where like these guys are pretending to be therapists and they're not like the most well-adjusted group. So it's just kind of like this odd collection of characters. And I, I also don't want to like, the movie also has some stuff to say, I think about, like I said, about our need to make sense out of a tragedy that they're like, has to always be, we always want to find reasons for things that happen. And I think it really plays into that and does some nice subversion with that later in the film, I just don't want to get too into it right. and give anything away there. Okay. Well, I, I, I like, so the, the humor element, of course, any movie, even if uh, on the surface of it, you know, kind of cliche, maybe good acting can go a long way as well. So I was happy that you picked a movie with, uh, with Mads Mikkelsen in it, given that we are, if not already, will be soon bringing the Daniel Craig, James Bond universe to a finale, which yeah. of course he, he played, uh, I think it was a Le Chief in that, in, in that. Uh, yes. Crying blood. Movie. Yeah. So definitely yeah, crying blood. Um, so I think that was uh, good as well. And I've, I think I might've seen him in a few other movies, but definitely a talented actor. So I'm excited to check this one out. And, and yeah, if, anyone, if anyone else has not watched his uh, Hannibal, which is oh, Hannibal, stream, right. streams on a couple of different streaming services now, I think. That, he's fantastic in that. It's just great all-around show, too. Over to Joseph Stanford for other thoughts on the review. Well, I, I'm just curious what the, the off-colored fat jokes were. I mean, they're not like they're not like the most offensive jokes or anything. It's just like there's weird things where they like comment on the daughter's weight and stuff, and it's just oh, kind of like like I said, it didn't like take me out of the movie or anything. It was just kind of like, yeah, I don't know that we needed that, but. Right. Interesting. Um, I'm excited to, to, to check this one out. I uh, I was going to say I uh, my my only problem. I of course I love John Wick. I love John yeah, Wick. Love absolutely. all three of them. You have to love John Wick. Um, the um, the uh, vigilante role kind of is always a fun kind of motif to go through. Kind of related to it, but one that I have a much bigger problem with is when mm -hmm. the the uh, film trope of like the cop that plays by their own rules and kind of <laughs> takes it on it. it kind of in the same yeah. time, but I, I was just watching a movie. Actually, it might've been a movie that you reviewed for us. I don't know if you did this one or not, but the wind river, have you seen wind river? Oh, I've seen wind river. Yeah. yeah. And I, I remember thinking there's like a scene in it where the person who like is the criminal, like at the end, he dies. It's not really giving anything away. It's pretty obvious. He's not going to make it, but <laughs> yeah. thing, like you just kind of killed that guy. And I like, in the justice system you like have to go to you know trial first and i'm always i'm always, I'm always bothered by just kind of like the gratuitous violence that people just impart on like in the name of justice i'm always like it's not how the system is supposed to work but at least when, at least when they're vigilantes i guess it's a little different they're they're outside of the, the the system so i guess it's a little more palatable i guess but yeah and the the, uh, the mathematician guy does try and go to the cops first okay they're, so we they're have that listening. okay 
Very, very good. Well, goes to Stanford. Anything else for the movie review for this week? Anything else you want to touch on? Uh, Great review. Um, Now that I actually finally have a stable internet connection, I might (laughs) start hacking away at some of these. Definitely check it out, guys. People who are watching will notice that I began laughing at the end of Joe Matz's review, and it was because in typical Joe Matz fashion, the review was glowing and full of wonderful adjectives, and, you know, this is a genre-busting film, and you'll never see anything like it, and it's so (laughs) good, and acting is perfect and everything. I'm going to give it a B+. Okay. Uh, It it was right on the borderline of B+, A-. So I'll give it that. It, It was close. It was close. One of these days, we're going to apply a curve to these film reviews, and we're going to see who all gets pumped up. And this is absolutely ridiculous. No. Um, Joe Matt's Keeping Everybody Honest, another good film review. Um, and like I said, timely. Um, actually, we're going to be talking about violence on this very podcast, Joe, talking about some key ideas from last year. So a movie that deals with violence as a central theme tied in very well and of course like i said not related to our podcast but related to the daniel craig james bond universe mads yeah. Mikkelsen. so be sure to check out this film and joe we will see you next time yeah absolutely all right very good all right my charming co-host my charming co wait for joe mass to click out of here go ahead joe take your time we got, we're in no hurry here okay. i'm just kidding joe mass a good, good good guy good friend and another good film review checking it off the list all right joe i thought it might be fun to kind of go over some key ideas from last year and then to preface some upcoming themes that you and I have been talking about off air for the audience to look forward to in the coming months. Um, so I'll start, I'll give some of my key ideas and I'll let you do the same. We can kind of go from there. Sound like a good idea? Sure. All right, let's start with one of our key ideas from probably our first, our first, I would say for us, majorly successful show in terms of viewer count, I'm talking, of course, about our interview with Dr. Ira Helfen. Um, still a favorite episode of mine, I would assume for you as well, another fun oh, episode yeah. that we had. Um, it was a breakthrough episode for us. The breakthrough episode for us, one of the, one of the uh, people who basically, you know, Joe and I are big believers in just kind of uh, reaching out to strangers, having them come on the show, um, was surprised to hear back from him was surprised that he came on the show and uh, was surprised that it went as well as it did. So three surprises in one show. Um, Really a great guest and uh, just had a lot of fun with it. The key idea from that show, aside from the obvious ongoing threat of nuclear war, which of course was the central theme of that show in particular. um, Give me one second, folks. I think I might have lost Joe. We're going to pause real quick. Okay, everybody. for the first time in 52 episodes, we just got kicked off with the Zoom. Uh, we'll see how the recording was affected by this. Um, no, we're talking about the Ira Health and episode. Um, ongoing threat of nuclear war. More, more importantly, tying into an idea from Nassim Taleb, though, is the, the, the way to think about problems that we really can't risk, hap- you know, we really can't risk the experiment, so to speak. And there are other situations like this. The, you know, kind of the whole idea of a black swan is, is more or less wrapped up into this when it's, when it's a dangerous one. But, um, you know, kind of the uh, philosophical shortcoming of mutually assured destruction. You know, it's uh, we're going to save the world by guaranteeing we need to blow it all to pieces. Yeah, let's take a step back from that one, guys. Let's, um, yeah. let's take a step back from that one. Um, and really, one of, the, one of the first episodes that we engaged you know, in a very particular fashion with some ideas from Nassim Taleb, um, one of the early authors that you and I talked about on the show quite a bit, along with Robert Cialdini, Scott Adams, a whole host of people. Um, ideas continuing to be important for the show and that we continue to talk about. Um, the next key idea I have for our show, and this one came about later on from a book that you recommended that we spent quite a lot of time talking about, of course, talking about the beginning of Infinity and the project of an open society. Um, Joe, what were some of your favorite moments or ideas from uh, from that series that we did on that book? Um, there were some. There's. I liked how that book and going through it. Um, well, I liked how we did a podcast because it forced me to go through the book and actually read the book. 
Um, so that was good. We, they, we mean, had to do the homework. <laughs> I had to do the homework. And there's no spark notes, right? So I, had to, I had to read the book. <laughs> it, it, it was a good book. It was powerful. It had a lot of key ideas. That, I mean, like, to be honest, like, I still think about today, like, especially like this concept of memes, you know, like how there's certain ideas that are out there and how now when I look at like the world, when I look at the news, when I look at Twitter, when I look at whatever, it's like, it's apparent, like you can see some things are memes and some things aren't memes. Some things just like self-propagate themselves with like no one influencing it. And then some things just die. And it's interesting to see this evolution of ideas and competition of ideas and see what comes out on top. So that's one thing I think about. Um, again, the, the, the major catchphrase that comes from this book is what all things, all, all problems, problems are inevitable and all problems are solvable. So just between those two things, like that kind of sums up like a lot of the world we live in. But what do yeah, you think? I completely agree. I think, you know, I think you're, and you're right. He kind of gives that as the, the as the, not only a, a good catchphrase of the book, but also kind of his defense of, of optimism that, you know, that's all that you need are those things, are those two things to be true in order, in order for, uh, for people to have reasonable grounds for being optimistic. And um, which I think is a great message, actually. Um, you know, this idea of painting people as universal constructors, painting people as kind of these problem solvers with infinite capacity to solve problems, um, it really changes how you see other people. You know, that when, when I think about myself and other people, it's always this idea of well, what, what problems are we going to engage ourselves in solving? Um, there's no problem too big. And, uh, you know, there's, seven point whatever billion people that all have a brain in between their ears that are all capable of thinking. Um, that's a pretty powerful force. And um, a book like this creates a framework for a dialogue around problem solving that um, and, and, th and this idea of posing problems in a particular way of, you know, being, uh, you know, ideas that are hard to vary that lend themselves readily to testing and then improving on the idea. This, you know, ties in with, you know, whatever, however many chapters in loser think where it's, you know, don't, don't attach yourself to a particular idea, open yourself mm -hmm. to challenging and open, open yourself to changing your mind on that idea and, and really look for opportunities to do so. Um, those are, you know, those strategies are how we make progress because ultimately progress is the solution of problems. And we solve problems by posing new ideas that, that lead ourselves to, um, to addressing those problems. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm glad that we spent as much time as we did on that book. I think that book was a lot to unpack. And you know, we spent I mean, multiple months on that. You know, we went through every chapter of the book um, and I, I certainly enjoyed reading it. And uh, along with you, I also think about that book very frequently. Uh, and in particular, I think about it with regards to how I want to address problems that I encounter. That's how I think about it. How can I engage yeah. you know, myself and other people in the pursuit of solving problems? Another idea I like from that book, it actually ties in with another idea from Nassim Taleb, is this idea that the future is inherently unpredictable, that we cannot predict the future. We cannot predict the evolution of human society because that future will involve ideas that we haven't thought of yet. And as a result, we can't predict their consequences. We, in the, kind of the cliche example that people give is you, you, you couldn't have predicted the end of World War II without understanding the atom bomb. So that idea had to come first. If you were in the 1900s and you know, whenever Einstein began talking about relativity, if you were before that time period, you couldn't predict the end of World War II because you wouldn't know about the really one of the key technologies that led to that war uh, being brought to a conclusion. So, and there are other examples of this as well, but, but the point is that there, there is a real knowledge horizon beyond which we do not know things. And the answers to those things we do not know will affect the future. So until we know those things, we cannot predict beyond it. Um, which I think is a uh, kind of a humbling idea, but also it positions us with regards to the future, and this is kind of what Peter Thiel says, the, the future is the point in time where it's different than the present. That's how you know you're at the future. It's different than where you are today. And you cannot know what's different than you are today because if you knew it, then it wouldn't be different. It'd be, so it'd be just the same as whatever it is that you're doing. Um, so I think that that is another important idea as well. And it came from that book also. Um, 
Another key idea from this one, anti-fragility, things that gain from disorder. I'll just say Nassim Taleb in general, he wrote, you know, all the books in the Enchero that I recommend people read. We've gone through probably all those books in some regard on this show in the past year. We've been touching on them, you know, for, like, like I said, for the past year. Uh, one of the authors that I say is essential reading to understand really kind of from a, from a philosophical perspective, the probability of the things that we're just talking about in open society, the future, prediction, et cetera. Um, these are all ideas that, that Nassim lines out very clearly in his works. And um, I, again, I, I think essential reading for, uh, for those reasons. Um, and uh, you're forgetting one of the most important gifts that Nassim brought us. Um, deadlifting grant yes yes uh, thank you for reminding me of that grant brogy who was one of our another one of our key guests on the show and yes kind of in this interesting kind of twitter sphere of you know people like you know people that follow nasim and um and, and, and take his work seriously absolutely grant brogy falls in that category and uh, absolutely grant brogy coming on the show talking about really a great story about innovation, but here was a guy who, because of COVID lockdowns, had to close his gym for some period of time. And what did he do about it? He said, well, if people are going to be working out at their home, I'm going to figure out a way to have people work out at their homes with weights. And then he transformed his yeah. gym into a weight manufacturing company. Um, I suppose that they, that they still do that. I actually haven't been following it very closely. I would imagine that they do. And yeah, I, um, I see him still like producing all these like, weights especially these hundred pound uh, uh, plates that he has now too. They look pretty awesome. Yeah. So, and, and yes, you're absolutely right. A great guest we had on the show. And, uh, you know, we, we really kind of asked him a bunch of questions and he answered them all really like, like we, we were kind of all over the place and he handled it like a champion. So <laughs> I, I'll yeah. give him credit for that. Uh, but, uh, and yes, a great guest. Uh, and, and another one of, one, of, one of my favorite episodes as well because of uh, just how good the interview went and the range of content. I had people reach out to me after that show telling me that they really enjoyed it. So that one felt good also. Right. What's your, uh, what were you squatting then and what are you squatting now? Oh man, my squat's gone way up. I think I said that I was doing like 185 back then. So I was coming off some injuries, but yeah, I can, I can get easily uh, 225 now. Um, my conversions might be a little bit messed up. I've been lifting European weights now, which, as you know, are heavier, thanks to the kilogram. So rounding up, terrible. I think that's about a hundred hundred kilograms, right? Yeah, I'm just trying to think. Yeah, probably. I'm, I, I'm trying to think of um, when you watch like light lifting on the Olympics. Isn't it, it's all in kilograms there, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It always throws me off. Yeah, yeah. It's a uh, terribly and immeasurable. We'll come back to that later on. Um, no, it's a uh, metric system is fine. Um, yes. An another great episode, Grant Brogy. Be sure to check that one out um, as well. Um, I had a few more ideas, but I figured we kind of keep the back and forth going. Other, key, other, other key ideas from the show. I have a few more on my list, but I then kind of switch off going, going through. Uh, yeah. Speaking of celebrations, maybe you can help me remember this. I remember there was one episode where we had champagne Yes. Now, I'm trying to think, what were we celebrating that could have been possibly more festivus than that, what we're doing today? <laughs> that, was our, I, that must have been our six-month anniversary. Oh, I think you're right. I think it yeah. was. It was number 26. <laughs> champagne buzz. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, that was a good episode, the champagne buzz. Oh, great episode. Uh, I think I wasted an entire bottle of champagne. I think I had half a glass of it and then never touched it again after that. Yeah, champagne is always one of those things that kind of feels like a letdown to me. Um, it's for the visuals. It's for the visuals. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely for the visuals. Um, and honestly, just, just just as good visuals, a little bottom art now. It's the same visuals. Um, yeah, that was the, uh, that was the uh, six-month anniversary episode. And I'm wondering if I dressed up for that one as well. I don't remember. I think so. I think you had your uniform, your basic, uh, basic charcoal V-neck. Solid V-neck. Make sure I had yeah. it for every episode. And uh, like I, I was not planning on wearing anything different today, but I had to adapt because I forgot it. That's why I did it. Black Swan. Couldn't see it coming. <laughs> couldn't, couldn't predict the future of winning my shirt okay other ideas i have on here talked about anti-fragility talked about a scene club in general be sure to follow him i don't have it written down 
but it would, it, I just kind of jotted these down. It would be unfitting to uh, not talk explicitly about Scott Adams, Persuasion, Robert Cialdini. You know, yeah. I would say those were all ideas that were on your radar years before they were on mine. You put them on my radar. I'm eternally grateful for that. Um, specifically, Loser Thing, How to Fail and Still Win Big. I finally said that name right. It only took me however many years of saying it no, wrong. No, that's, that's still not it. It's how to fail at everything and still win big. Oh, you fucking, well, there you go. How to fail at making a book title and still make a lot of money. So, you ought to, so this is what you should have called that book. Um, yes. Loser thing. Thought bubbles. How to get out of them. Obviously really important. This is important today as it was a year ago. When we, that probably might have been the first book that we talked about on the show, if I had to guess. And then, of course... Yeah. Robert Cialdini talking about influence and about persuasion, which are, again, as important. I mean, you're talking about memes earlier. Of course, advertisements are, are kind of meme, really. Um, so I, it's kind of fun to look back on ideas that we were talking about. I think in, in a lot of ways, the beginning of an infinity made a container that all of our other ideas kind of fit neatly into. That's kind of how I think of that book, that it kind of gave a framework for some of the things that we were talking about from other sources. Yeah, a good, good foundation for all of that. Yeah. And, and just to follow up, like these guys like Scott Adams, I still watch his, his podcast every day. He has a live stream that I watch. And man, I, I've never seen anyone be able to like articulate and break down just the real like subjective nature of people's minds and just their biases especially when it comes to like politics and whatnot like i've never seen anyone be able to not only call out other people's biases but like observe his own so again it's a little plug i think everyone should uh watch that live stream if they haven't coffee with scott adams and, and uh yes and, sip. <laughs> and at the very least check out his books because um i mean they're all i, I haven't read the win bigly one but i have read the other two um and, um, and again, I would say read the Robert Cialdini books as well. I mean, oh, these yeah, are, you know, forces out there that are, that are not nefarious. I'm saying we're all, like Joe was saying, well, it's biases. We have to always be on guard about biases that we're encountering, including from ourselves. And um, probably most importantly from ourselves. I mean, that's, that, that's the voice that's always talking to us. And then, then, then of course, there's going to be biases in there as well. And um, these books go a long way into addressing that and how to cope with it. Um, let's see, Joe, what else would I say on here? We didn't, we, we kind of a little bit later on in the, in the, maybe the past few months or so really made a connection. I thought an important connection between capitalism and innovation and risk-taking the idea that allowing people to own things allows people to take risks with those things without taking risks on your behalf. And um, I think that's important. I think the fundamental unpredictability of the future and the relationship that has to innovation um, to me is an important defense of private property and capitalism. Um, and I, uh, I'm, I'm still a believer, I guess, in the idea that uh, innovation, wealth, prosperity are our best bets for peace in the long term. That's my, that's still my bias, if you will. But uh, I still believe that and I'm comfortable saying that uh, on this show. And um, I've been saying it for a long time and I, and I still feel that way. Sure. Let's see, the last idea I have on here. Yes, everywhere we must be on the guard, on guard against threats of violence. Um, Solving problems, we were talking about solving problems earlier. There will always be problems. One of the key evolutions, really maybe even just like the basis for what we consider society is a framework where people can settle disputes without violence. Um, and I think we all kind of know this on kind of an academic level, but I think it's worth reflecting on just how grateful we should all be that we're not still solving problems the way that they do in the, uh, in nature, which is, uh, they just murder you and eat you. Um, I don't think we would want that. I just came from the natural history museum. I'm glad I'm a human and I'm glad that I'm not, um, an animal who is uh, solving problems in that way. 
Uh, it's a brutal world out there, and I'm glad that we have slowly over the course and over hard-fought battles to be sure, and so much progress to be done. But I'm glad that as a species, we have figured out a way to uh, create these frameworks for solving problems without having to uh, resort to violence. And I, I hope that we continue yeah. to make strides in that way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, talk about solving problems and coming a long way from nature. I walked into my hotel, and there's a bidet in my bathroom. Talk about innovation. Oh. When's the U.S. going to get on that game? That's I question. agree with that, actually. And let's in one of our early episodes, we had on a guest, Miss Abysmal. We paid a little homage to uh, talk radio. And we had a we had a caller call in and ask about personal hygiene. Habits. <laughs> the fact that we don't have bidets in the U.S. and the fact that there is not a bipartisan agenda to make that a reality is a disgrace. Right. Let's just all be in the same page. This shouldn't be a Republican issue or a Democrat issue. We all have the same anatomy down there. And we could all use warm jets of water to accomplish a task currently done by wiping ourselves with paper. I mean, someone... yeah, you, think, you think we would have learned our lesson from the 2020 uh, toilet paper crisis? And we should have learned this lesson anytime anyone's ever been to a public bathroom and has been given the gift of, again, what I call Bible paper to clean yourself with. I mean, that is absolutely disgraceful. You were talking earlier about your, about your friend in the, in the uh, hostel rolling around on sandpaper. You probably rolling around yeah. on toilet paper. I mean, my oh. God. My God. So I agree with you, Joe. I think it's time that they get on the bidet game. And uh, if, if, if there's one show, Joe and I don't agree on everything. People, people who listen to the show know that. But I think one, one place where Joe and I are in complete agreement about is, is, is the importance of hygiene, the importance of hygiene. Um, one of our early episodes, maybe even the first episode, Joe had me go through kind of a list of things to do to get out of a rut. We all get in ruts. We all fall in ruts. How do we get out of ruts? Well, I won't remember everything that I said, but I will tell you a nice way to get out of a rut is to clip your fingernails, clean up your neck beard, get a haircut, groom yourself. These are all things you can do, even on a budget, that will make you feel better. Joe, do you, do you not agree with that? Yeah, you know what? Something's been off, and I think it has something to do with the lack of haircuts. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. If you're, if you're, if you're feeling down, clip your toenails. That's a good place to start. Um, all right, Joe, that was my list of key ideas from last year. Of course, there were many more and many other guests we had on the show. Of course, we would be remiss to not mention Dr. Jacob Stanginga, who came on the show. We'd be remiss to not talk about the, our, our continuing search for the uh, Roses and Rhetoric softball poach, Dizon yep. and um, And, of course, a special shout out to our first guest who came on to promote uh, a book they had written. Uh, Dr. Lacobara, who came on our show and talked about a book, False Flags, which he wrote and which was very enjoyable. And you can find it online. And I recommend anybody watching the show pick up the copy. It is a, a fun book, a fun read, and another fun episode. In fact, our first interview, though, I think, I'm almost certain, in fact, it was, um, and a lot of fun. Um, okay. Any other ideas from last year before I go into ideas for the upcoming year? Uh, yeah, this would be a good, a good segue. Um, I remember early on in, in the infancy of the podcast, we would talk about how every episode would be a little bit different. You never know what you're going to get. Like everything's always changing. There's always this, this sense of constant improvements and AB testing, if you will, that goes on into this. And I think we've done a good job at that. And I think that that's turned us into who we are today at this point. Um, you know, we started with like nothing and then just, just audio and then we switched it over to video and then we got the Instagram going, we got the, the Twitter going, we got like more members of the team now. I think we're up to like five or six con contributors. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, things are just, it's starting to snowball into bigger and bigger things. And uh, yeah, that might be a good segue into what's going to happen from here on out. A-B testing, of course, a key idea from Scott Adams and the book that shall not be named. And um, <laughs> yes, trying new things, having fun. We've been doing that, you know, 
we um we did begin with just we did begin with just audio and i think adding the the visual made a big difference to that um and lo looking forward you know just has kind of a kind of a tactic one thing we'll be pushing for next year is to try to get more guests on the show i think those tend to be our more popular episodes and we like having guests as well um and uh, we will continue to reach out to people for that um for that kind of episode because it definitely leads to, to interesting conversations um Okay, I, I made a list of four ideas. Of course, th this list will not be exclusive, but this will be some of the key ideas that we have been kind of, I think, teasing a little bit in our show and um, are going to really look to deliver in this upcoming year, um, going into 2022. Um, or, well, yeah, 2022. Okay, neuroscience. Now, we had, a, we had at least one guest on the show to talk about neuroscience and spent a couple of other episodes talking about neuroscience as well. This will be a theme that we will continue to talk about on the show and in particular, try to give a more concrete explanation for some of our uniquely human elements, um, you know, the human mind, et cetera. We have a lot of the content for this. Joe and I uh, both know personally and have ideas for authors we want to have on the show and people in this field. Um, it's just a matter of getting the timing right. Um, there's a number of, of, of books and of ideas around neuroscience that would be an excellent fit for our show. We're going to continue to work to get those people on there. We've gotten feedback from, from some people um, that they really enjoy the neuroscience episodes and uh, we enjoy those as well. So we're going to continue to work to get those guests on the show, um, including a very close friend of myself and of course a close friend of Joe as well, who was knee deep in this research and uh, would be an excellent guest in that regard. Um, Joe, you had our neuroscience interview when you were visiting uh, San Francisco. That's what I'm thinking of with our, with our first neuroscience guest. Yeah, with uh, Guy Bouvier. Yes, Guy, Guy Bouvier. And then after that, we had even another one. We had two neuroscience guests on. Um, oh, we had uh, Francisco. Francisco. And uh, they were both great. Both great. The UC, both great. The UC, uh, they're the USF uh, neuroscience student from Compton. Yeah, <laughs> the uh, we, might, we might need to check back in with him from time to time. Yes, I agree, and uh, and uh, and uh, uh, Guy Bouvier as well. I don't think Joe and I said his name correct once on that episode, but we haven't said it wrong yet since then. <laughs> and uh, continue to make progress. Least we're learning. We we were just doing some maybe testing with French pronunciation. Um, but no, we really enjoyed the neuroscience episodes. Definitely an exciting field, and uh, knowing people in it and having those two those two guests on our show um, was a lot of fun. We'll continue to explore that as well. I've been I've been teasing some ideas around around violence on this show and really strategies for avoiding violence and for creating peace. I want to make that a bigger theme of the show going into the next year. Um, obviously, an important topic not going away. Uh, the importance of it not going away. Um, so we'll continue with that as well. Some interesting books on that that I have read not too long ago that I think would be fun for the show. And um, tying in again with this idea of an open society as well. Um, the third idea in this, I, I, I don't quite know how to phrase this, but I'm, I'm, it's, it's a working phrasing, Joe. You'll help me with this one a little bit. The consequences of a particular world. We, we don't live in a general world. We live in a particular world at a particular time in a particular place. And I think it would be interesting to explore how particularity ties into meaning and ties into purpose. I'm reminded of the quote from Viktor Frankl in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, um, that there is no perfect chess move, that it's all contextual to the game that you're playing, that you're, you need to look for good moves, not the perfect move. And um, I think that has interesting implications for um, ideas uh, on, on past shows and uh, would be a fun theme to continue into our next recording year. And the fourth idea is, and this is a, again an idea from beginning of infinity and one that I think deserves kind of its own focus, is uh, this idea of converging with other people by converging to the truth. Um, this is an idea that comes out in beginning of infinity with regards to decision-making in a political environment. And, um, 
there's all sorts of problems with trying to reach compromises and different, you know, paradoxes that arise from, you know, different schemes of, you know, voting and representation, et cetera. But that one way to avoid those paradoxes is to converge with one another. And uh, one way to converge on the same place is to converge towards reality, um, which I think kind of became, or not became, was an important part of being of infinity. And I think would be an interesting idea in and of itself. But those are four ideas, Joe, that I want to touch on in the upcoming year. Thoughts, comments, or ideas of your own that you want to bring into the upcoming year? Yeah, those are some great, great, some great framework for the future. But as you mentioned before, the future is very unpredictable. So I also look forward to the surprises that are going to come up along the way. So there's going to be curveballs. It's going to be a I think it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, the one thing we haven't been able to do yet, that I, though I, I am hoping that actually in uh, in a few months, I'm going to be uh, in Arizona in December around the winter time. So we might okay. finally be able to do our first in-person show. <laughs> People who have been watching the show for a long time, Joe and I actually do know each other in person this is not a zoom relationship joe and i are not dating long distance um, well, we kind of are but well yeah no, i'm sorry i apologize we, we, we are we are dating long distance but we are not uh it did not begin long distance our friendship began in person and um and uh this upcoming year i think opportunities for doing some in-person shows will arise as well so we'll keep our fingers crossed for that um Joe, those were my the, those those were my key things for this show. I'm going to turn it over to you. But before saying that, I just will say, um, this was your idea from the beginning, so I take no responsibility for anything. No, I'm kidding. no, <laughs> this was your idea from the beginning. You reached out to me about a year ago because of the one year anniversary, and you said, "Hey, let's do a podcast." And anybody who's curious to know what my response was, and Joe will confirm this, I said, "That's a bad idea." <laughs> I fought back. <laughs> I pushed on it. I didn't want to do it. Um, but Joe, through his charming ways, of course, changed my mind. And uh, we are now here, episode number 52 of a podcast. And Joe, I just want to thank you for not only changing my mind, which you did, but by having this idea in the first place. It was uh, definitely has been and will continue to be worthwhile. And uh, I want to thank you uh, for conceiving of this because, again, this has been uh, so much fun. And I'm looking forward to continuing it. Um, into the future yeah well it's uh it's not something that either of us could have done on our own so um i'm happy we were able to combine forces and uh make some quality out of it um i do want to give a little tease for a future episode that's coming up yes um a friend of the podcast uh, a musician traveler and singer his name is luca and he uh, just came out with a new single um we're trying to get uh have our people talk to his people and uh, get him on the show so, uh, Luca, if you're listening, we look forward to having you. Um, we just got to settle on a date, but uh, that's in the works coming up. And I, I think that's going to be a really good show. I think so as well. Um, a really, another, you know, strategy for next year, like I said, having you on more guests, and in particular, more artists, um, you know, kind of if we, if we put art in the framework of beginning of infinity, artists are kind of these uh, pioneers and explorers of the aesthetic frontier. And so having them come on the show to explain their methodology, explain their thought process for creativity and, um, and also criticism. How do they determine what ideas they, they move forward with and, um, in terms of art creation? Uh, would be a lot of fun. Luca, I hope you are listening to this show. We very much are looking forward to having you on the show. And, um, and uh, if you're an artist listening to this and you want to come on our show as well to talk about your artistic endeavors, uh, we look forward to it. And if you have another guest you want to recommend, as always, Joe and I are always open to guests. We're on Twitter, Instagram, et cetera. Send us a name, send us a contact, or we will get in touch and set something up. Yeah, we're, we're, we're so receptive to feedback. Like, literally, anyone could reach out and suggest something, and we would probably do it. And what do you think, Jim? Oh, I no doubt about it. <laughs> <laughs> There's no doubt about it. You do not film yourself once a week for a year straight out of humility. Um, or out of shyness. So no, we are always looking forward for feedback, always looking forward for, for guests, for any, even just for ideas on the show. Um, Joe, I want to give one shout out 
and to I would I would say probably our most loyal fan and uh, someone that has been following the show for a very long time. I'm talking, of course, about Mutant Fox. Yeah. He does a video game review channel. He's on Twitter. You know, we follow him and we we, we retweet him frequently, and he retweets us frequently. Um, we we met him doing this. We we didn't know him. We we still don't. I don't really know him. I mean, I know him through Twitter, or, you know, but um, but uh, I would be remiss to not give a shout out to him, one of our most loyal fans. Uh, so Mutant yeah. Fox, we thank you for your for your patronage, and uh, wish you success on your channel as well. Um, do anything before we wrap up today's episode. Uh, no, let, let the people know where they can send us feedback. All right, everybody. Well, we are on Twitter at roses underscore rhetoric. You're also on Instagram roses underscore rhetoric. I don't know if Instagram has the at sign or not. Joe is on Instagram and Twitter as well. You'll find him at Jose four underscores Cuervo. And also, of course, we are on YouTube. Just search Roses and Rhetoric. We will come right up. Until next time, I am Jimmy Hackett signing off for Joseph Stanford after a very successful year of Roses and Rhetoric saying ciao.